It's always a pleasure to come and be with Connection Church. Uh, it reminds me of our church in Houston. It's not just because of Larry and Lindsay uh, being from Houston. I was a youth pastor in inner city church uh, called Wilcrest Baptist Church. We had over 40 different nations represented. Our youth group uh, was very uh, diverse, and it was very exciting. Uh, during this time, uh, they wanted to surprise me. We've been walking through the book of Galatians, and uh, it's when Remember the Titans came out. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that show, but there's a a chant that they do. And so my students got together and they adopted, co-opted that chant. And one day uh, in front of me and in front of uh, church camp, uh, they get up and they do this. And this is what the the chant was. And I'm going to let you guys, uh, Jerry Ocampo is the one who let it out. And I want you guys to help me with it. And so Jerry uh, would say it and then the youth group would say it after him. And I was shocked. And so it goes like this, everywhere we go, People want to know, what are the black folks, the Asians and Hispanics, hanging out with honkies, so we tell them, it's about Jesus, the mighty, mighty Jesus, where there is no black or white, Greek or Jew. So here we are, here we are bringing, it to you. bringing it to you. I was so surprised. But what happened next surprised me even more. In front of this whole church camp, all of a sudden, at this point, they begin to break it down. Mm, ah, mm, and dance, and it was crazy, and I loved it. And it was so good. It was so biblical and so true. And believe it or not, it actually reminded me a lot of Jesus. Um, because Jesus is full of surprises, especially in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, get uh, your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to camp out predominantly in chapter 4, but let me kind of lead up to that to show you how surprising Jesus is, um, especially when it comes to talking about your neighbor and loving the world. We see that uh, in contrast to the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in John's Gospel, uh, once Jesus calls his disciples, uh, rather than going out on a healing and a demon uh, casting uh, experience, Jesus doesn't do that in, like he does in Mark. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus, as a good Christ, as a good Messiah, as a good prophet, he preaches a sermon. But in John's Gospel, the first thing he does after he calls his disciples is take them to a party. The wedding at Canaan. It's like, celebrate good time. Come on. It's like, wait a second. And so I can see the disciples being surprised um, at this. At the party, uh, Jesus performs his very first miracle in the Gospel of John. You may be familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus' first miracle is uh, surrounded about healing a guy with leprosy. But not in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, Jesus, mm, ah, ah, he surprises them by turning water into wine. It's like, here's my cup, put some liquor in. You can almost see, if you empathize with the disciples, how crazy this is. Jesus goes to a party first. His very first miracle is turning water into wine. And it may be a bit of relief for them when we get to John chapter 2, where Jesus is finally taking them from the party to the temple. Great, we're going to go to the temple. This is what a Messiah is supposed to do. But when Jesus gets to the temple, you'll remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus gets angry, he overturns the temple, and he gets all up in the religious leader's grill. Surprise. But not only that, then we get to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, finally, the great rabbi of the land, Nicodemus, comes. Nick comes at night, and Jesus meets with him. You can almost see the disciples like, yeah, great. Finally, we're going to have uh, something that a Messiah should be doing, uh, talking theology with the rabbi. And this is a very important rabbi. This is one that we want to get on our side. 
But once again, when the rabbi comes, Jesus is full of surprises. Rather than uh, treating the rabbi as an equal, Jesus stumps the rabbi. He says, hey, Nicodemus, before we get into a conversation, I want you to know this, that in order to be, uh, have everlasting life, you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't get it. You'll remember. He's like, what do I have to do? Go back up into my mom and come out again? And she's like, no, no, no. Hey, if you're this great teacher of Israel, how can you understand this? When I say born again, I mean from heaven um, and from the Holy Spirit. Disciples don't get it. And they're looking at Jesus. He's full of surprises. And at this point, he gives us that John 3, 16, your verse uh, for this series. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think at this point, the disciples, again, are kind of like, okay, finally we got something that's normal. Finally, there's nothing, no surprises. God so loved the world. But I think that just like Nicodemus didn't fully understand what it meant to be born again, how they misunderstood Jesus, I think the disciples didn't really get what it meant when when Jesus said, for God so loved the world. When they hear this, I believe that they were like, yeah, God loves the world, meaning the Jews. You see, during during this time, the Jews, um, when it came to the understanding of the redemption of people, one, some of them didn't even think about the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Some of them believed that the non-Jews were actually meant to be uh, destroyed. They were meant to fuel the fuels of the, the flames of hell. Um, very similar like what we see in Jonah, where uh, the Jewish prophet wants the God to destroy the Ninevites. He wants Nineveh to burn, baby, burn. And so there were some that were most progressive that said, yeah, 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 salvation is... Uh, really for the Jews, but maybe there's a a non-Jew here and there, the exception that proves the rule. And if the disciples are anything like the Jews of their day, and and I'm talking even about the religious Jews of the day, Uh, for example, the great passage, love your neighbor as yourself, they said, yeah, when God says love your neighbor, who he really means is Jews. And even some of the Jews said, uh, no, not all the Jews, but the Essenes, the, the, this set of group, or the Pharisees said, you know, they, what, love your neighbor means the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. And so we see that if this is the case, that the disciples didn't fully uh, understand what it means when he says, for God so loved the world. They're like, yeah, for God loved the world, meaning predominantly, mainly, mostly Jews. And if that's the case, then this is really setting them up for major surprise when we get to John chapter 4. If you have John chapter 4, you look at verse 4 and it says, uh, now uh, Jesus had to go to Samaria. Uh, And it's interesting because in the Greek, the original text, um, the the word had to go is at the very beginning uh, to emphasize it, that it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Now, for many of us uh, who may not be familiar with uh, the, the first century world between the Jews and the Samaritans, This is a surprise. This is something that would shock the sandals off of the disciples. The Jews during this time, they did everything they could to avoid Samaria. And I think the reason that John says that he has to go is because the disciples don't really get what it means when Jesus says, for God so loved the world. And so he's going to show them who the world is, specifically their neighbor, the Samaritans. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, John is going to give us a little bit of a hint between the relationship of the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, Later on, I think in verse 9, when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, uh, when when he speaks to her, she is taken aback because Jews and Samaritans, they did not talk to one another. The famous Jewish song during that time was, Samaritan woman, stay away from me. Not really. That had been funny, though. I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, 
The, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other more than the Mets hate the Phillies fans, more than the Yankees hate I mean, they, they hated each other. And it goes back, um, if you remember when David was king, Solomon becomes king. And at this point, um, after Solomon uh, dies, the kingdom splits. The top ten, uh, the, the north part of Israel, they break off. And you have Judah in the south and you have Israel in the north. And Israel, if you go back to the Old Testament stories, had all of these wicked kings, and they went into idolatry. And in 722, uh, the Assyrians come, and they destroy, the, they destroy Israel, the northern kingdom. Now, at this point, they decide, well, rather than killing all of the Israelites, rather than killing all of these northern kingdom people, we will breed them out. And so they began to, uh, to, to copulate with them, and they began to be known as the Samaritans. And so actually, the Samaritans come from the same sons of Abraham. But one thing that the Jews hated more than non-Jews were half-Jews. We see that there was such a hatred between these two that it, later on in 586 B.C., when the Babylonians come and they destroy the south side, they destroy Jerusalem, the Samaritans hated the Jews so much that as the temple was being destroyed, as the walls were breaking, bro- broken down, as women were being raped, as kids were being killed, as they were taken off in slavery, the Samaritans cheered. They rejoiced that, Israel, that Judah was falling. This is that hatred. And the hatred wasn't just for the Jews in general. We see in the Synoptic Gospels that one time James and John and Peter, as they're going by Samaria, they say, hey, Jesus, can we please call down fire from heaven to destroy Samaria? The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other so much that Jesus, if you remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, when he wants to define what it means to be a neighbor, In contrast to the two Jewish leaders who do not help the one who is fallen by the robbers, it is the Samaritan that proves that that that's what a neighbor is, one who shows mercy. And so there's all of this hatred. And so Jesus, when he comes and he says, for God so loved the world, the disciples are thinking just the Jews. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. For God so loved the world, including the Samaritans. Jesus goes to Samaria, and as uh, Larry has read, he goes there, and his disciples, uh, they're hungry, and so they go out for Taco Bell for some Mexican to eat, and, uh, and Jesus stays there. The Samaritan woman comes, and it's interesting that when Jesus goes to the Samaritan, he doesn't just go to, there wasn't Taco Bell back then, that was a joke. Uh, th- when he goes to Samaria, he doesn't go to the Nicodemus of Samaria. He doesn't go to the great, pious, religious leader. He doesn't go even to the man, but instead he goes to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman comes at noon, uh, back during the first century, when women would go get the uh, water, they would get it at the morning and the evening, not at high noon. And so here it's giving us a clue that this woman was an outcast. She was marginalized. Later on, we're going to find out why that's the case. is because she's had four husbands, and the guy she's with now um, is not her husband. So Jesus goes to a, a poor and a powerless, one who is marginalized, to share the gospel with them. And the disciples come back, and the disciples, they don't get it. They see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. They're like, no, no, Jesus, you, you, God sent you to save the Jews. And we're supposed, we're, we should be in Jerusalem. Why are we in Samaria? Okay, if we're not in Jerusalem, then why, why are we in Galilee? Why are we in Samaria, and why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? What is going on? And Jesus is unpacking. You want to understand John 3.16? John 3.16 is, for God so loved the world, and that includes your enemies. God so loved the world, it includes your neighbor. God so loved the world, it includes people that are not like you. Maybe the disciples were progressive. 
Maybe they're thinking, all right, okay, this is what's going on. This is the one Samaritan that proves a rule that salvation is really for the Jews. This is the one Samaritan that proves a rule that God really just loves the Jews. The exception that proves a rule. But what happens next? You look at verse 38, after Jesus kind of gives a lecture to the disciples saying, no, 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 you need to understand the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is not just in Jerusalem. The harvest is not of just the Jews. The harvest is plentiful. God has made this harvest just as God has sent me to save the world. He is sending you to save the world. Just as God loves the world, he wants you to love the world. And that includes the Samaritans. In verse 38, the woman had gone back and said, hey, come and meet this Messiah who told me everything about myself. They go and they meet Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just pass by. He doesn't preach a sermon and leave. It says that he stayed with them two days. The disciples didn't just get to go and have to go through Samaria. They stayed in Samaria. They probably stayed in Samaritan houses. This is that interactive, uh, intentional relationships that, that we were talking about earlier. He stays for them for two days. And then look at what they say. They say, now we know that this man is the Savior of the what? Of the world. John 3.16 is the last time we saw, for God so loved the world. The next time we see it, when we get to John chapter 4, it's right here. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Boom! <clears throat> Jesus surprises them. The disciples, their world is broken in half. Now they understand. For God so loved the world includes the Samaritans. If God loves the world, including the Samaritans, then the disciples are called to love the world, including the Samaritans. If God sent Jesus Christ into the world to save the world, including the Samaritans, God is sending the disciples into the world to save the Samaritans their enemies and foes, the poor and the powerless, the marginalized and the oppressed. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's subtle here in John chapter 4. Elsewhere, Jesus spells it out more. I have one son that uh, was about last year at this time. I came home, and he was on the couch, and I could tell he had been crying. And I said, son, what's wrong? He said, dad, I got stung by a bee on the finger. I'm like, oh, man, that, that's, that stinks. That's, that's terrible. And he said, yeah, but I'm crying because when it stung me, I said a bad word. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was, and I was just curious. Uh, I was like, so what bad word did you say? What, what have you heard from your mom? <laughs> and it was almost like I was trying to catch him in a, in a trap. You know, he's like, I'm not going to say it because then I'll say it again the second time. It'll be even worse of a sinner. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, well, what did it start with? I just out of curiosity. Now I'm really curious. And he says, well, I said the K word. The K word? I don't even know what the K word is. And I was public schooled. What is going on? And I was like, well, will you spell it for me? Will you spell it out for me? It's like, yeah. So he said, K-R-A-P. <laughs> so I grounded him. Not because he said the word, because he couldn't spell. Uh, just, just kidding. But when we see that it, whether Jesus is not, I think that in John chapter 4, Jesus is spelling out what he really means in John chapter 3, verse 16. But if he doesn't spell it out here, then he does elsewhere. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse uh, 43 if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 5, this is Sermon on the Mount, and I think Jesus spells it out. That Jesus wants the disciples to know that God so loved the world, and the world is their neighbor. Their enemies are their neighbor. The people that are not like them are their neighbor. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus quotes um, the popular Jewish saying. 
You have heard it said to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Love the Samaritans. Love the people that are not like you and pray for those who persecute you. You know what? What good is it if you love those who love you? What good is it if you love your brothers and sisters? Don't even the pagans and the tax collectors and the Philly fans, don't even they do that? But you, you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God allows the rain not just to fall on the Jews, not just on the righteous people, not just on, but He allows the rain to fall on everyone. So also, our love needs to fall on everyone. Jesus spells it out for the disciples. Loving your neighbor, loving is loving the world. Because God loved the world, and you are called to be like God. How do we bring that home to us for our application? Just like the disciples, I wonder what you think of when you hear, love loud. You're like, yeah, we want to love loud. People like us. We don't include our Samaritans. So let me ask you this question. Who is your Samaritan? Who is the people that you avoid? Who is the people that you would like to call fire down upon? Who is it the people that have mocked you and hurt you? Maybe it's people that you don't even think about. Maybe it's people that you just feel like they, they, they need to be damned. Maybe it's people that you're like, yeah, yeah, that, 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 they, there may be a person or two in that group that approves a rule. Who are, your, who are your Samaritans? I want you to ask the Lord that right now. It may be like, yeah, sure, God calls us to love loud Democrats, not Republicans. Or maybe it's vice versa. Yeah, yeah, God calls us to love loud this group, but not that group. Who is your Samaritans? Just ask God right now. Say, God, who are the Samaritans in my life? Enemies? Poor, powerless? The unloved? Those who've hurt you? That's your neighbor. First person, the first group of people, the first idea that came to your mind is a Holy Spirit pressing that on your heart. And God wants you to know that He so loved the world, including your Samaritans. And He sent Jesus Christ to save the world, including your Samaritans. And He's sending you as a church to save the world, including your Samaritans. Who is it? From now on, when we talk about loving loud, we need to make sure that we include that group. And we need to ask the Lord, break our hearts. Help us to love those people like you love those people or that person. God, help us to seek to reach those people or that person like you seek to reach that person. How do we do this? It sounds impossible. If we really have that animosity, really have that history and that frustration, it should make you say, there's no way. I can't do this. But guess what? God's full of surprises. He looks at you, Jesus Christ, and says, hey, as my disciples, I want you to be perfect as my Father is perfect. And the reason he's perfect is that he loved us when we were enemies. He loved us when we had rejected him. He loved us when we were dead in our transgressions. He gave his life for us. We love our Samaritans. We love those neighbors because God first loved us. We do it because of the table. We do it because of Christ's sacrifice. And we do it 
through his sacrifice. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want you to ask the Lord tonight, what in this message stood out to you? What is it that has your name on it? How is God surprising you? I want you to ask the Lord just to work in your heart right now to break it, to help you to love the unlovable, the people, the person that you've struggled with most. To love them not on your power, but through the sacrifice of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, we thank you that you loved us when we were unlovable. Not many of us were wise, not many of us were noble births, not many of us were strong, but God, we were outcast and downcast, and you came and you saved us. God, help us to love the Samaritans, help us to love our neighbors as you do. Help us to love them loudly. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.